0: By a show of hands, how many of you read the book of Revelation this week? Cool. got more. Uh, we got like ten. Uh, well, I mean, it's better than the last service. There's like two. Um, but you guys, you've got to get into this book. I mean, we're talking five minutes a day and you'll have the whole book wiped out in a week. And uh, it's such, I mean, when you think about what, what we're living in right now, we're in a world where all this stuff's going on in the Middle East, which is where all the end-time events are going to take place. We're in the middle of this election year where it's like, who in the world is our president right now? And uh, and, and it's like, gosh, you know, it, it just all makes sense with, with everything that's going on in our world. You see how this book of Revelation and this, and this need for this one world government and everything, it, it just seems to all make sense as you read it in our day and age. That's why I say, gosh, get into this book right now because we live in a pretty fascinating time. It's an incredible book. But um, if you have your Bibles, open to uh, Revelation chapter 1. Uh, if not, I, I have some of the, the verses on the outline um, in your bulletins this week. Revelation chapter 1, and uh, starting in verse 1, we'll read verses 1 to 3. We're going to go through the whole chapter, chapter 1 this morning. Um, we went through the whole book in the last two weeks and gave an overview of that. If you weren't out here during the last couple of weeks, I'd really encourage you to get that, that series of just those two weeks of tapes. Um, those two tapes, because it'll, it'll give you the idea of the whole book. Or you can get it on CD, too, as well. Um, but it, it just kind of summarizes the whole book of Revelation. Um, but here we start off in Revelation 1.1, 1, 1, and it says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Okay, so he starts off in the first words. I know it's just the first few words here, but it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, understand that what revelation is about is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation means a revealing and unveiling and exposing and it's it's like this explanation of who Jesus Christ is. It's opening up our eyes so we understand what he's like. Don't think of the book of Revelation as just this book of prophecy that just tells you about end time events. I mean it does that. But the purpose of this book is to reveal what Jesus Christ is going to do during those end times. And the purpose of this book is to give us this bigger picture and this revealing, this unveiling of who Jesus Christ is. Because we say that name, but I don't think we understand what he's exactly like. And this book gives us a clearer picture of him. And what I love about this book is I don't think there is any other book that will give you a greater appreciation for the difference between the power of God and the power of man. Okay, I mean, no other book in the Bible will show you just such a huge gap. You know, when you see God and his wrath being poured out upon mankind at the end, of the end of the age, and then you see mankind, you realize, gosh, we're defenseless against this amazing God. We see just how powerful he is. And, and that is so important because we live in a world that lifts up people. You know, we're always talking about how great people are. You turn on the news and it's about how fast this guy ran or how strong this guy is or how much money this person made or how beautiful this woman is. And it's all about people and how great they are. Yet when you read the book of Revelation, at the end you realize there's no such thing as a great person. There's a great God, and then there's all of us people. Because, you know, rich or poor, strong or weak, whatever, we're all just under this one God, this one being. And when you read it, you're not thinking at all, ooh, you know, I don't think this guy will get hurt by it. You just look and you go, well, gosh, we're all just people. Under this almighty, great God, the revealing of Jesus Christ. I mean, you don't, you don't read this book and go, yeah, but Shaquille O'Neal is seven foot tall and he's 350 pounds. God can't hurt him. I mean, that doesn't even enter your mind. Or, or Johnny Cochran, he'll get out of it somehow. You know, you just, you, you don't, these things don't go through your head. You're not thinking about people. And you guys, when you read, the more you read this book, and my prayer has been, as God has revealed to us, Jesus Christ has revealed to us more and more, we'll stop lifting people up and just lift up this holy God and realize, gosh, we don't really amount to much compared to him and his awesome power. And uh, look at verse 3. It says, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, because the time is near. Hey, okay, guys, this prophecy, book starts off saying, you know what, blessed are you if you read it. There's an incredible blessing if you will read this book and understand it. In fact, at the end of Revelation, in chapter 22, verse 7, it says the same thing. Blessed are those who read this book. And you guys understand, this is the only book in the Bible that begins and ends with a blessing to those who will read it. And yet, it's one of the most unread books in the Bible. You know, God's telling you, you know what, read this, understand this book, because it's such an incredible blessing to you. And yet we still refuse to open its pages and read it. That's why I'm begging you guys, read this book, read it for yourself this week. Verse 4, he says, John, To the seven churches in the province of Asia. That was just a typical greeting. That's how they would write their letters. They would write their name first. Whoever was writing the letter, they'd write John. And then he'd write uh, to whoever he was writing to. And here he is writing to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Um, These are literal churches that um, existed in Asia Minor during that time. That's modern day Turkey. Um, And John is writing this to them. They were the first recipients of the book of Revelation. He says, grace and peace to you. From him who is and who was and who is to come. Who is that? Sure? Let's keep reading it. Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ. Okay, so who's the one who is and was and is to come? God the Father. Okay? And it's confusing because they're both given that name. Um, and, and we'll see that later. But I, I want you to catch something. Okay, he's saying, you know, I'm going to give you know, grace and peace to you. And, you know, John's not saying my grace and my peace to you, but the grace that comes from God the Father, God the Son. But look at what it says. It says grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. That's, that's the Father. And it says, and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Who are the seven spirits before the throne? I mean, think about it. If I told you, okay, the, the intro to this book says grace and peace to you, and then it says from God the Father, God the Son, and one other person, who would you think? Holy Spirit. Okay, but why then does it say from the seven spirits? What does that mean? Okay, understand this word seven spirits can, or this term seven spirits, can also mean sevenfold spirit. Um, I, I really believe that this is a... This refers to the Holy Spirit. I, I really do, and I, and this idea of seven spirits is kind of confusing. I'll admit it. Um, you know, is it is the Holy Spirit seven different spirits, um, or is He one? Why everywhere else in Scripture do they refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit, singular? And why here is it talk about seven spirits and other places in Revelation you'll see this phrase again, the seven spirits. I believe it is the Holy Spirit, because I don't know who else they would sandwich between God the Father and Jesus Christ. Um, it seems very similar to Matthew twenty eight, when God says, Go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean it's just those three just go together. That's where we get this idea of the Trinity. But why would he call it seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit? Some say it's because in Isaiah 11, verse 2, it describes the Spirit, and then it talks about these seven characteristics. I think that's a stretch, especially when you look at the original language. It really only lists six characteristics of the Spirit there. So that doesn't totally fit. Um, Some say seven because it's the number of completion. and Some say seven because there are seven churches that uh, this letter is going to. Um, If you really want to do some study on it, though, I would encourage you to read Zechariah chapter 4 okay, in the Old Testament. Don't do it now. I'll just explain what goes on in Zechariah. Study it on your own time, right? Zechariah 4 says this. Zechariah 4 verse 2, Zechariah gets a uh, he gets a vision. Okay? And it says that he sees this golden lampstand with a bowl on top of it, and there are seven lights coming from this bowl. So Zechariah sees this vision of this bowl with seven lights, and he says, What is this? And the voice comes back, and in Zechariah 4 6, and, and God speaks, and he says, Not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Okay, so when he says, What are what is this? What's this symbolic of these seven lights? He says, Not by power, nor by might, not by might, by power, but by my spirit. And then in, in verse 10 of that passage, it says, these seven are the eyes of the Lord that roam throughout the earth. Okay? Now, I know this is a little bit confusing, but all I'm saying is that passage in Zechariah, and study it when you have some time, but it talks about this vision of these seven lights, and God somehow says, when he says, what is that? He says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And then a couple verses later, it says, these seven are the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth. Okay, I know that doesn't really clarify things as much as you would like to. And let me, let me just say something right now. When we talk about God, okay, I have this tendency to want to understand him completely. Okay? And I think we all do. We want to have this nice little package called God and go, okay, I got him. i got to figure it out. I've got a good picture. I could draw that on a piece of paper if, if I needed to. I've heard people try to describe God and this, this idea of how are they all one and yet you know, how are they separate and how does this Holy Spirit look? Uh, and they, they try to simplify and they go, oh, you know what? I got it figured out like an egg. Egg, it's got a shell. It's got the white part. It's got the yolk. And yet it's all one, but it's all separate. You know, they're all three parts, but it make one whole. That's what God is. Guys, that's not an egg. Um. You know, let's let's try not to let's try not to oversimplify him just so that we in our little human minds go, OK, I got him. I got him figured out. Um, you guys, God is so complex. And the more you read the book of Revelation, the more frustrated you will be if you are trying to put him in this little package that you understand. And I understand that's human nature. I mean, you turn on the Discovery Channel, you know, and, and you'll see some documentary on some little ant that they've been following around you know, with a video camera. And they've got his whole life figured out. And it's fascinating, isn't it? You read it and you go, whoa, okay. And they're saying those rings around his ears, do this. And, you know, this is how he eats. This is how long he lives, you know. And he his friends, you know, (laughs) live for about nine months. This is how they mate. This is how many eggs, you know. And you're just like, whoa, we've got him figured out. It's pretty interesting, his life. We got him in this little box. We've got him figured out. Well, you guys, we try to do the same thing with God. And you guys, we can't do it. Um, He's not like this little ant that we can follow out and and figure out everything about him. It would be more like that ant trying to figure us out, you know, and looking at our lives. And it's like, you know what? Give it up. You're not going to figure us out. You know, all you need to know is that I could step on you and all your friends, you know. (laughs) He's not going to be able to figure out a, a being as complex as us. And in the same way, when we talk about God Would you not try to put him in this box like he's beneath you and you can figure him out? Just understand there are things about God that we just can't totally grasp and get a handle on. There are secret things that belong to the Lord. All we need to know is, well, he could step on me and all of my friends. You know, I mean, basically, it's like, you know what? Here's a being that is so far beyond me, and I don't understand everything about him. I could not draw him on a piece of paper. I can't close my eyes and know exactly what he looks like because he is God. And that's what the word holy means. He is set apart from us. He's beyond us. And so you're going to drive yourself crazy if you try to figure out all there is about God and get him in a nice little package because he's beyond any package you can put him in. And that's why we just bow down to him and say, I don't understand you completely. I try to know what you reveal to me. But beyond that, you're you're like something I've never seen. Um, there's nothing on earth to compare to you. No one compares to him. And so in this greeting, he, he says, blessed are you, you know, grace and peace to you from God, the father, God, the son and the seven spirits. In verse five, though, it says, and from Jesus Christ. Who is the faithful witness? That's a title given to Jesus, because in uh, John 18:37, he says, for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. That's what a witness does. He testifies to the facts. A witness tells you what is true. That's what Jesus Christ's role is. So they call him the faithful witness. The firstborn from the dead. Firstborn is a term meaning preeminent one or the greatest one of those who have risen from the dead. And that's what Jesus Christ did and is. He says the ruler of the kings of the earth. Okay, Understand regarding, regardless of who is in power in each country, says Jesus Christ is the ruler of all the kings of the earth. And that's what the book of Revelation shows us in the end time, just how he takes that power. But then this next phrase, please do not miss this next phrase. It says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. If there is one phrase that you need to understand in this description of Jesus Christ, it's this one. Not just understand it intellectually, but really believe this in your heart. It says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. To him who loves us. Let me ask you something. Do you believe right now that Jesus Christ loves you? I mean, regardless, think about it. You know what? A lot of us in this room, including myself, have done some horrible things in our lives. We have hurt people. We have offended God. But do you believe at this moment, despite what you've done, God loves you this very second? Jesus Christ loves you. And let me tell you something. He loves you more than anyone else will ever love you. He loves you more than anyone. And do you believe that in your heart, regardless of what you've done? It's to him who loves you and has freed us from our sins. Do you understand that term? He's freed us from our sins. You've got to know what that means. You see, sin is when we do something that offends God. And when we offend that holy God, we deserve His punishment. And so what should happen is that at the end of my life, I have sinned against Him so many times, at the end of my life, I should have to pay for those sins. I should be judged, punished for those sins. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ freed me from that. By his blood. That means when he was on the cross, when his blood was being poured out, he was paying for my sins. And that means I'm free from them. I don't have all these sins I have to bring before God at the end of my life and pay for them. Jesus Christ freed me from that because he paid for it himself with his own blood. You believe that in your heart. That right now, even though you have sinned against God, Jesus Christ loves you, and not only does he love you, but he loves you so much, he paid the penalty for your sins, and you're free from that now. you got to believe that. you got to know that. Because when you believe that in your heart, that is a moment of salvation. That is when the moment when you really know, you know what, I'm going to spend eternity with God. Because I'm freed from my sin. And that means you're free from the power of sin. To where you don't have to sin. Every time we're tempted, we have power to overcome that. We don't have to sin. And that's the mark of a believer. Is that The Bible says that by God's spirit, by his power, we put to death all the deeds of the flesh. We put to death those sins and we stop walking in them because we're free from them now. And and our life is a process of walking away from our sins. That's what it means to be sanctified. Do you understand that? And do you believe that from your heart? That Jesus Christ, not just that he was a faithful witness... um, not just that he's the firstborn of the dead, not just that he's the ruler of the kings of the earth, but do you believe that he loves you and he has freed you from your sins by his blood? I hope so. And he says in verse 6, And he made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. It says he made us a kingdom and priests. Okay, kingdom's easy, you know, God is the king and we we follow him, we are his kingdom. But then it says, and he's made us, all of us, priests. What does that mean? The priest, understand the priest in the Old Testament. The priest was the only person that could actually come into the true presence of God. Okay, remember the Ark of the Covenant that they made, and that symbolizes God's presence. Presence, you know, the, the, the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark was all based around this the, the idea of the Ark, the Old Testament that God said to create. And somehow his presence was uh, uh, somehow connected with that Ark. And so they had to create this place called the Holy of Holies where they placed the Ark and no one could come into the Holy of Holies. There's this huge, thick, you know, uh, veil, curtain type Thing that no one could come into and pass through that curtain and come to the Holy of Holies. If you did, you died. I mean, it just happened because the power of God was so intense. But God allowed for one man once a year to come into the Holy of Holies, the high priest. And he would come on behalf of all the people and he would come into the very presence of God as a representative of the people. Now, what happened, though, is when Jesus Christ died on the cross somehow, supernaturally, miraculously, that veil was torn from top to bottom. We're not talking about a little piece of paper that you tear in half. We're talking about an incredibly thick fabric that was just torn from top to bottom. And it was a picture. It was a symbol of the fact that now everyone has access to God. Through the blood of Jesus Christ now it says that we are all priests. We can all come directly to the presence of God. That means I don't need to go to someone and say, hey, will you talk to God for me? Because I'm a priest now. I don't have to go to a priest and say, hey, here's all my sins. Forgive me of that. No, the Bible says we are all priests. That means we all can come before God and confess our sins directly to him through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, there's only one mediator between God and man. That's Jesus Christ. He's it. And so we all have direct access to God because of what he did on the cross. I'm pure now before God. I'm freed from my sin. So I have direct access to God as a priest. And then he goes on in verse 7. He says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And that's a huge part of this book. It's saying, look, here comes Jesus. This is this is all about the return of Jesus Christ when everyone will see him, not just those who pierced him, not just the Jewish nation, but everyone in the world will see him. And it says that everyone will mourn over him. Everyone's going to be blown away when Jesus Christ comes. And that's what this book is about. And then in verse 8, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet and Omega is the last letter so in our language we would say I am the A to Z I am everything and the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty who is that speaking in verse 8 is it the Father or the Son Jesus Father Son. (laughs) no one wants to say we're not sure you know, it's one of those, I mean, because it's a term that's given to both of them. In fact, turn down to verse 17. It, it could be either one. Um, I lean toward the sun, but let I mean, just look at verse 17, though. It says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. Okay, who is that? Okay, that one's Jesus. Okay, everyone said Jesus on that one. Um, you know, because I was dead, you know, and I'm alive forever and ever. Okay, of course, that's Jesus. And there he calls himself the first and the last. But in verse 4, we knew that that was talking about the Father. When it says, from him who who is and who was and who is to come. Because later on he says, and Jesus. So up there, the first and the last refers to the Father. Down in verse 17 and 18, refers to Jesus. And in verse 8, it could be either one. Um, but that's that's the whole, that's a difficulty of God. It's like, it'd be a little easier if they had different names all the time. Um, but that's why we, we talk about this concept of a trinity and how there's a unity between the two, because they have the same names, and they're even described in the same way. And so, are they two? Are they one? How does it all work? Are they three? Are they one? We don't totally get him completely. Um, just understand that, yes, you know, he's he's just everything, and we just submit to this being because we have nothing on earth to compare him to. He goes on in uh, verse verse nine, and he says, "I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus." On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. Okay, so he explains, he goes, look, I'm John. He's telling you remember me, John, he goes, I'm your brother, I'm your companion, I'm one of these, one of you. And he says, he explains that he, uh, because of his testimony, he is placed on this island of Patmos. Patmos is this tiny island, about 10 miles by 6 miles. You know, not, not, not tiny, but it, it's, it's just a little island out there. And uh, it was like a penal colony. It was a place where people uh, who had committed some sort of crime were placed there, and they had to work in these mines. Well, John's, the, the thing that John did wrong was he told people about Jesus Christ. And the Roman government did not allow that. And so they place him on this island so that he can't get to the masses and tell them about Jesus Christ. Because they were trying to destroy everything that Jesus Christ did. Anyways, he says, I'm on this island. He says, and on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day means the first day of the week. We know that by some other writings in that region where they referred to the first day of the week as the Lord's Day. Because that was when traditionally the church celebrated. They celebrated communion. They celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So John says, it's the first day of the week. I'm on this island, and it says that I was in the Spirit. Okay, What that means, okay, we have some other cases where people were taken in the Spirit. In fact, in Acts 10.10, 10, you can look at that some other time. But it uses that word ecstasis, um, ecstasy, where we get the word ecstasy, this idea of this isn't like something you in the average physical world. This is some different state I was in. I was taken, and I was able to see things that normal people don't get to see here on the earth. I was in this state of ecstasy, or or, or where my mind was taken to see things in the invisible world. Okay, so I'm in the. Uh, it's on this Sunday. I'm worshiping, and suddenly I'm taken to see this vision somehow, supernaturally. And it says that he hears this voice, this voice behind him that's like a trumpet. You ever heard a trumpet? You remember when Jim used to blow his trumpet up here and, uh, and those in the front row would just go, ah! Oh. I mean, it just was so loud. If he pointed that thing right at you, it would just, it kill you. I mean, the, the trumpet, I mean, it was great music. It was just too loud. Um, but uh, imagine this this voice that John hears. He's just taken in the spirit and he hears his voice like a trumpet just flaring. And it says, write down on a scroll what you're about to hear, and send it to the seven churches. Okay, And that's what the book of Revelation is, is John writing this down. In verse uh, 12, it says, I turned around to see the voice. Okay, what is this trumpet voice? I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Okay, so he turns around, and the first thing he sees are these seven lampstands. Now, what are these seven lampstands? What do they represent? Look at verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven lampstands, golden lampstands, is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Remember, angels can mean messengers, and that's what I believe it's talking about, the the pastors of those seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he turns around, he sees these lampstands, and he says, these lampstands represent the seven churches. Why would a lampstand represent a church? What is a church supposed to be? The light of the world. Okay, so he's saying these seven golden lampstands represent these seven churches that are supposed to be shedding light or illuminating people to the truth. Okay, and then he, he, he goes on in verse 13, and he says, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. The term Son of Man just means human being. Um, it's a title that's also given to Jesus Christ in the Gospels, showing that he really became an absolute human being while being God. Son of Man, title for him, and that's who they're talking about here. Among the lampstands was someone like a Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet. That, that was a typical robe that the judges or the priests would wear, and with a golden sash around his chest. A sash is a pretty common article of clothing. Uh, the sash was, uh, it helped if you had a long robe, the sash kind of just bounded all together so that when you ran, you could just tie it up with your sash and run and you wouldn't trip over your robe. You don't really care. So you, you've got a, you've got, he's got this robe, he's got this golden sash around his chest. And then re, look at this, verses 14 and 15 it says, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Okay, this is not your normal looking person here. Okay? What John sees, first he starts okay, he's got a robe, he's got this sash. But then he says, his head and hair were just so pure white, they are like wool. He says, as white as snow. And then it says, his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet are like bronze glowing in a furnace. Okay, I want you to just try to picture that, but, but let me do something right now. Let me read you a description of God the Father from the Old Testament. Okay, In Daniel chapter 7, it's describing God the Father. Let me just read this to you and see if it sounds similar at all. Daniel 7, 9 says, The Ancient of Days did sit whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like fiery flames and his wheels as burning fire. Okay? Isn't that interesting? You know, it's like the same words and the same imagery describing God the Father in the Old Testament that belonged to him and him alone. Here in the New Testament, describing Jesus, John's saying the exact same thing. He's saying his head, his hair is like white as wool like snow His his whole being and and in the old testament it says his wheels were like fire and here it says his feet are like this burnished bronze when it's glowing some brightness about this being and then in verse 16 it says in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword Okay, we know the seven stars represent the messengers or the pastors of those churches. And God's showing. look, they're right here in my hand. And then it says, out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, or a double-edged sword. Uh, the double-edged sword was a sign of uh, authority, a sign of judgment. And that's what the book of Revelation is, is Jesus Christ coming in judgment. And he says, gosh, when I looked at him, his tongue came out like a sword. And then, uh, then look at verse... Uh, Oh, at the end of verse 16, it says his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. You ever look at the sun in, in the, the peak of the day when it's at its brightest moment? I mean, you can't really stare at it. It's just so bright. And it's interesting that he uses that analogy because remember, um, remember when Saul in Acts chapter 9 is on the road to Damascus? And what does he see? A great light. And it was so great. Everyone, all his people just kind of bowed down and, and, and Saul screams out, who are you? And what was the answer? This is Jesus whom you've been persecuting. This is Jesus, the one that you're trying to destroy. And uh, and here, so now the same description saying, gosh, when I saw his face, it was like looking, it was like staring into the sun. Now, what I want you to do right now is I want you to imagine being in John's shoes. Okay, picture yourself. You're on this island. It's Sunday like it is right now. Worshipping and suddenly you're taken somewhere else. In your mind and you you hear this blaring trumpet of a voice. And you turn around and you see this being amongst these seven golden lampstands. Hey, picture. Picture if, if someone walked through the doors right now described like this. Picture of someone came in and he's wearing this gown and this sash and you look at his hair and it's just as white like wool. You look at his eyes and they're like blazing fire. His tongue is like a sword that's coming out. His feet are like burnished bronze. And his face is like the sun. It is so brilliant. So what would you do if that type of being walked into this room right now? I think. You'll, you know what you do? Look at verse 17. You do the same thing John did. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Okay? You guys, when John saw Jesus in his glorified state, he just fell over. It was like he fainted. He passed out. All the life came out of him. Because I fell over like a dead man. I was so terrified. Because honestly, you guys, this is like nothing we have ever seen before. This is God. And that vision just caused him to fall on his face. And you guys, I want you to understand something. Um, There are only a few times in Scripture when people got to see God. And what amazes me is the response is almost identical. In Genesis chapter 17, it says that Abram got to see God. And it says, when he saw God, he fell face down. In Judges, it talks about Manoah and his wife. The the angel of the Lord appeared. And it says, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. Ezekiel in chapter 44 talks about how the glory of the Lord is filling the temple. And he says, I saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple and I fell to my face to the ground. When people encounter the living God, you you, you just you look at him and you just fall over because he is that amazing of a being. And here John sees him and he falls over. And then what happens? It says, "I, I saw him. I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Right there for what you've seen. Jesus puts his hand on John, his right hand on John and said, do not be afraid. Easy for you to say. You know, I mean, you know, here's this being walking toward him. He passes out and he feels his hand on his shoulder that says, don't be afraid. He says, I'm the first and the last. I was dead, alive forevermore. Jesus is saying, it's me, Jesus. Remember, because John had an incredible relationship with Jesus when Jesus was on the earth as a human being. And John and Jesus says, hey, it's me, Jesus. The one who died and rose again is alive forevermore. The one who holds the, de- the keys to death and Hades, it's me. You guys, the thing I don't want you to miss was just that whole response by John. I mean, when he encountered God, he fell on his face. And my concern is this. Okay, in church, we say the name of Jesus time and time and time again. And sometimes we just kind of go, yeah, Jesus this, Jesus that, and we forget who we're talking about. Okay? Erase these pictures or these paintings you have in your head of Jesus with his long brown hair. Okay? We're talking about God, the Creator, this being that John, when he saw him, he fell over like a dead man. Whenever anyone in the Bible saw God, they just fell over, fell with their faces to the ground because it was just so awesome. And you guys, my concern is sometimes when we pray, we don't think about who we're talking to. And I do this. Sometimes we pray and we go... Um, Lord, thank you for this day, and thank you um, for the food, and uh, let me have a good night's sleep. Amen. Let me ask you something. If that being walked into this door right now, walked through into this room, would you look at him and say, Oh, thanks for the day, and thanks for the food, and let me have a good night's sleep tonight, all right? I don't think so. So then why do we pray that way? cuz we're not thinking about who we're talking to. I mean if that being walked in the door and says I want you to sing to me. I want you to worship me. Would you look at him and go, uh, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love singing praises." I don't think so. Then why do we sing like that? Cuz we're not thinking about who we sing to. You guys, I'm so concerned that we don't play church here. Then we just come here and we, we say some words to God, or we sing a few songs. It's not about that. It's not about singing time. It's about worshiping. It's about thinking about this being and, and being in his presence and how would we sing to him? How would we worship that being? That's how we're supposed to worship when we're in this room. You guys right now the worship team's going to come up. And we're going to have some time where we just we sing to that God. We sing to that Jesus Christ that was just described. But would you close your eyes right now? Just kind of bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to read these words to you again. I want to read the words that describe Jesus Christ. Okay, think about this. Picture this being you and you get to see this. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands, was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with the golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That is Jesus. Picture that. And now sing to him.